All right. All right. Um, come here. I, tell me what kind of beer glass you well, want. Well, hold on. Let me get this in the backpack then so I can get it mobile because uh, I can't exactly, like, come there with these headphones on. Well, yeah. All right. Do you want a tulip? Do you want a goblet? Do you want a mini wine glass? Probably uh, mini wine glass. Yeah, I mean, well, what's suited for the beer? What kind of beer is it? It's I actually a, have my uh, book with a guide in it, if you want to use that. What kind of a guide? It's got a guide to what kind of glass you should use. I think I, I, think I have my review. Oh, I have, I have two different books now. My, uh, my aunt got me a uh, moleskin for reviewing beers, and I have this one. It's like 99 bottles of beer thing. All right, awesome. Well, actually, that reminds me. I read an article today that was not very well written, but it brought up an interesting point in Philly beer scene called... Beer nerds. Is taking beer too seriously destructive to the industry? Is it? What do you think? Well, the whole article kind of started with this diatribe about what exactly is a beer nerd, and it's unfortunate that beer snob is uh, under the same kind of heading. And so beer nerds, this guy basically posits, should be, and mostly are, like traditional, I don't know, like computer nerds or or gaming nerds or whatever, in that they're inclusive and pretty awesome in wanting people to, you know, are happy to, you know, welcome newbies, so to speak, to the entire situation. So, basically the whole idea is like, unfortunately, the few bad apples that are beer snobs kind of ruin the, uh, the kind of term in general. And it's funny, because one thing is like, he's like, have you ever, you know, been in a bar and had someone that was also a customer kind of snark or seeing someone snark at someone else's choice. Wait, we're we drinking already? Come on, I'm telling fucking tell a story. Okay, sorry, sorry. Right, sorry. So, and, <laughs> and kind started. of snark just to their you know, people about it. Yeah. And or, and or a bartender do that. And I asked Sarah, um, and she's like, no. And I was thinking, but I don't really have an either. So I think they're few and far between, but whatever, we can talk about that later. Anyhow, time for the first beer. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll do an intro in a little bit, but welcome everybody, this is Hunter. This is Josh or Juicebox. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll slip in and out. So sorry, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, the first beer for uh, for our first uh, podcast here is a, certainly a good one. It's nice and local, Insanity by Weyerbacher up in Easton, PA. It's basically, I believe, yeah, it's their barley wine aged in oak barrels. Yeah, they like age a lot of things in oak barrels. I was actually but very good the, at it. I got this up at the brewery, and mm, it smells so good. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, fuck yeah. That's great. You should probably say also we're down in Philadelphia at uh, Hunter's apartment. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, uh, right near all the hospitals. It's very convenient in case, uh, in case this <laughs> night goes awry. But anyhow, I, got, I went to the brewery after an, a wonderful day in Easton with my girlfriend, and we park uh, out back in their like, brand new tasting room, which is awesome. You guys should check it out. They, they can't uh, legally sell beer to drink on premises, but what they have is... Uh, a little impromptu bar with everything, plus they'll taste out of bottles. Two ounces, pours of everything you want, that they, pretty much everything they make that's available to tie. And they also sell six packs, they sell growlers, and they have the best prices, I mean, for, for the types of beer that you're buying there. And anyhow, we pulled up, and right in front of us, there was this barrel that was a Heaven Hill barrel, which is my new favorite uh, bourbon, because it's oh, really cheap one. and really awesome. Well, we can do a little tasting later, I got a little bit. But um, <laughs> it was a Heaven Hill barrel, and it was they said free. It was a free like like bourbon barrel essentially. Firebacher was giving it away. Yeah, but the reason was it was really old. I mean, it was like probably been out there for a long. Probably don't want it, but they had a lot of fresh. You can buy a new barrel, like a, not new obviously, but like a used barrel for twenty five bucks. 
but like I'm not there yet <laughs> in my <laughs> yeah, home brewing endeavors. So, anyhow, all right. Shall we, uh, do a little intro? The intro song, we're singing along, drinking beer, and talking about politics. Uh, Henry and Hops, politics and beer, adventures and thoughts for your ear holes to hear. So let's have a brew, maybe just three or two, perchance discover new shit that we never knew. So come along. That's the end of our song. Yeah. Oh, that actually is the end of... That's it. Uh, we just talk culture and shit. Uh, we should talk about, um... Probably like why the podcast is the name Henry and Hops. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. By the way, this is called Henry and Hops. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is Henry and Hops. Yeah. And, uh, uh, go we're, ahead. Sorry. We're uh, discussing uh, beer and politics um, because those are our two favorite things to talk about. I think. And they go really, they go really well together. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. So basically, real quick, Henry. I'll, I'll put a photo up online later on, but. Henry is uh, short for Henry George, my favorite uh, non-economist economist. We, we won't talk <laughs> about that because I'll go off forever about why I love him so much. But Yeah, we'll do a later episode on Henry George. We're going to go to his house because yeah. his like, house is... Uh... Come here, let me show you something, okay? Um, yeah, his house is a block away. Did I show you that I got a cigar, a cigar box with him on it? No, but I, I have seen your signature. We should probably take a picture of both, though. Isn't that I... awesome, dude? Yeah. Uh... What? No, nothing. That's what? just crazy. Isn't that awesome? Dude? I got it on eBay. No, I'm really surprised Henry George was on a cigar box. Well, here's the thing. I, I think that, um, well, I guess it was by permission of Henry George, but the whole motto of the Henry George Cigar Company, which was not something that he ran, ran but I think he gave his, mainly it was after he died, but their motto is cigar for every man. And it didn't mean, they didn't mean it in a sexist way, even though it's kind of hard to believe when you hear it. Um, they actually meant it in, like, for every person, which was, like, kind of, you know, the populist, um, underpinnings, I guess, of, of Henry George's economic uh, theories. Yeah, but it was sold as they were cigars. Yeah, I mean, they were just cigars. But that was back when, you know, tobacco was prescribed and so was cocaine and, you know. Yeah, but tobacco, times. but it was still grown as a as a large corporate commodity that would have I know, taken up right. a lot of resources and do, not paid taxes. It is quite Henry ironic. It, it is very, <laughs> that's a very good point. It's very ironic that actually he's on a cigar company or, or really anything of that of that nature. Good point. Um, also, I got a signature here. You see that? Sure yeah. That, right? Wait, should pro- what, is the, what does the letter say? Can we do a dramatic reading? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I dropped my... Henry George. Can you read it? Right, I don't think... I don't know if I can. Mr. C. Gallant? Yeah, go Cornucky, I think it's Coxsackie. No, okay, Coxsackie, New York. Dear sir, it has been... in. He has terrible handwriting. I know. Well, this is not Henry George. This is Henry George Jr., his son, writing the letter. Uh, and, and then he included his... a little clip out of the, his okay, father. It has been in... informative earlier to make you make you autograph of my father. father. Okay, no, I, it has been something to send you an autograph of my father. I know that now. Important? No. I think this guy bought it, but the letter's dated 1903, so probably didn't buy it. I bought it off this, this collector. This I now send. Yours very truly, Henry George Jr. Who was a congressman, in fact. He was a congressman? Yeah, I got that for dirt cheap, too, man. But one thing about loving a forgotten hero is that all the artifacts go for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing about Henry George. He's forgotten. And that's and that's part of the reason I think we're doing this like uh, podcast in yeah. the first place, is yeah. because... Uh, yeah, we want exactly. to talk about Henry George and make him known, and yeah, you and know. that's the thing. Like, I don't even want to get into him this episode, but just like having that as a namesake is kind of important, just because I think that underpins 
my entire outlook. Well, I think it underpins like when we started talking about like economics and philosophy too, in a big way, because like, I mean, we became friends freshman year in college, like on the second day, but we'll get back to that too at some point. But uh, well, no, that's probably a good thing for now. You think we should talk about that now? Yeah, absolutely. I live in New York. Hunter lives in Philadelphia, and we're gonna switch back and forth between the two places, uh, and maybe go to Boston, D.C., Baltimore. I really want to go to Baltimore and like do an episode on uh, drug trade. But. You know what I like about um, I like about a good podcast? Yeah, is what? Tr- transparency. Transparency, exactly. When you're just like talking about your process. Well, you that's know? yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like I, I feel like the big thing you have to be open to criticism too. Like, if anybody who's listening to this has anything to uh, add or like detract from what we've done, or you know, well, like, wants to start a discussion about something in the yeah. episode, or um, just wants to like say that they like something, please let us know. Yeah, exactly. But like, don't be mean. That's not very fun. Yeah, but whatever. I don't really care. You can't, you can't expect people not to be mean. It's the internet, man. Yeah, like, that's very true. YouTube. Okay. All right, anyhow. So let's get back to the introduction. So, yeah, we met in college. Um, Freshman year. Probably drank pretty shitty beer. Yeah, we drank some really shitty. I was drinking 40s at the time. When, when well, you I mean, start in college, I don't think you know anything about beer. Nothing wrong with 40s, though. I mean, when you're broke. <laughs> nothing wrong with 40s. There's really nothing when you're, when you're broke. Okay. So, I'm not, I don't no. know if I'm 100% behind that. You know, it's funny. It always reminds me of an atmosphere lyric where he's like, ain't drank a 40 since I've been old enough to drink. And What's the thing? You, you I know, think I have drank a 40 since I've been old enough. never get shout outs and songs. Well, I think, you know, we'll probably see it. <laughs> A trend there. I feel like when I was trying I to write... Magic Hat. No, but that's the thing. I was just going to say, Magic Hat was one of my big first, like, intros into craft beer. And I always well, talk I about feel, that. Like yeah, that. yeah, definitely. Like, that was... You Jesus. You introduced me to Magic Hat. I'd been drinking Sam Adams. I mean, Sam Adams before that. And, like... Oh, uh, speaking of which, real quick. Sorry to interrupt you. But did you see that um, this year, or maybe late 2013, I think his name is Sam Koch of, uh, of Boston Brewing Company, Sam Adams, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, first craft brewing billionaire. Really? Just hit a billion dollars. Like Holy shit. I'm not sure if that's you know, true, but do you know that I read that somewhere. Most of their product is now produced out of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Really? Like 80% because they bought a, a Budweiser factory there and they now ship out. And if you want to buy Sam Adams for cheap in Pennsylvania, go to the Holiday Inn next to the, the uh, Sam Adams brewery there. You cannot, you can go in the brewery, but you can't really get a tour and you can't get beer there. Um, but you can get beer at the price you would at Sam Adams Brewery at the Holiday Inn next to the Sam Adams Brewery. Like at the concierge desk? No, they have a bar. Oh, and they have like to-go six-packs? Cases? No, no, no. I meant like you can get it oh, on draft. draft. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. They get like kegs directly from the brewery, oddly enough. Awesome. Oh, by the way, can I brag about my next beer purchase that's going through? Yeah. Yeah? Sure. Is it, is it, so, real quick, PA, this will just be like the intro where you talk about like beer news and banter, like the banter part, then we'll get Well, we obviously have to cut it down a little bit, because I imagine there's going to be a lot of... Okay, fine. That's well, fine. I, yeah. I, well, I can't have an hour of intro. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, just... all right, all right, all right, all right. Fair enough. So, real quick, in Philadelphia, um, I mean, PA, pardon me, as you know, Juicebox, you can't, uh, pretty much, it, with, with a lot of exceptions, but you can't really buy... Six packs, anywhere except the occasional bar. So long story short, it's really hard. You can go to distributors, like public, people that also sell to the public, um, and you get it, I get the case. So 24 beers, you gotta get 24. So if you get a mixed pack, 
from a brewery that you want to try or you don't know or you know you know and you like or you want to get a fucking a new one for me i'm kind of always getting probably like generally an ipa but uh, we can talk about it later. It's been a lot of been yeah, a lot I love IPAs. I've been we, been a lot I hate drink, on IPAs recently. I've been drinking a lot of sours actually. Finally, yeah, but that I mean that's a beer. That's a really hard style to find in a case because or it, it's so expensive and it probably would be like a case of 12, 24s, You know? Or yeah, no, 50s. I usually drink it out at bars. To be honest, when oh, I'm yeah. at home drinking, What's I usually drink favorites? IPAs uh, for sours. Yeah, yeah. God, I can't even remember. I have them written down all in my book at home. I'm sorry. No, I've been, dab- I've been dabbling a little bit. I can get back to that. Now. I'll post some of those online when I get back home. Oh, man. Actually, I did have an incredible, crazy beer. Okay? So, I had a nice 9% one the other night. That was, oh, man. Uh, really Let me talk. Dude, I had this one, and I think it was... Uh, I think it was... Oh, I know what it was. It was the Nebraska Brewing Company, right? Is that what they're called? Oh, man. I don't know I that took place. A photo. Anyhow, I was up and down in Baltimore, and there was this... Um, crazy i mean this bar max's brew house i think it's called or max's on broadways with the sign says and um it's insane because is it a brew house no no they, just, they, no they have like 140 drafts yeah but it's well you know there's a place in uh in florida and i it's a chain actually called yard house and they have over 100 drafts like that's their thing but it's more it's a little more corporate they're not purely craft beers it's a lot of like europeans too they have like delirium but what's nice about that place is that during happy hour, you can get uh, Delirium or Unibrow or any of those like really nice expensive beers for four fifty for like half price. You know what I mean? On draft? On draft. Wow. Full of pours. All right. Know? So I took a photo of the draft list and here's what it was. This beer was fucking crazy. And it was probably one of the best like soury beers that I ever had. So it was, yeah, Nebraska Hop God, which is like I think their Imperial IPA. Belgian IPA they have it listed here. But... Then they, barrel, then they barrel-aged it in Chardonnay barrels. Oh, And so I don't think there's a way to get, like, and, I mean, definitely, I, we should probably look this up, but to get, like, extra effervescence, like you would from a Bretomyces yeast strain, which is one of those, like, nice, dry, you know, fucking um, uh, sour yeast strains. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it, it honestly, it, did, it tasted, like, a little hoppy, but not really. It was just, like, a very well-rounded, like, Basically, like a, a boozy imperial pale ale with like sour undertones. It was incredible. Wow. And also, sorry, real quick, just because I have it here, the other beer that I got there on draft was one of the best beers I've ever fucking had. And I, I well, was, that other that sour I had the other night was really fantastic because because it was a little hoppy and a little Belgian and it wasn't just pure sour. That's the thing is like I can't I get feel into like the that. First, yeah. The first sour I had, I think, was in college just because we were experimenting buying so many beers at um, uh, halftime. Uh, Best and, place in the world to buy a beer. <laughs> and uh, you can pay us later for that one when we get uh, <laughs> when we get famous. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I tried that. Uh, what's it called, Lady? Um, the really the, the the like old school famous sour. What is it called? You know, Lady. Um, um, Duchess like Bourgeois. Du- yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, guys. Okay. Sorry. Just, the beer we're talking about here is the Duchess de Bourgogne. Please feel free to write in with the pronunciation. I'm shocked at what just, We'll get the names later. Just yeah, we'll, we, we, yeah, we can edit it. Like this, it like that, uh, it's like the skit with uh, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> that's kind of how I picture this. Oh, that this. is one of my favorite SNL bits of last year. That's how years. I picture this entire thing going down. It's like, don't, don't worry. It'll just be, put a wink in. Just like, there. wink I, me I, later, like, yeah. All right, here's, I'm going to blink, but Here's you. the beer that I first had that actually was like, I was, speaking of beer Wait, before, before we continue, uh, I just want to add two things. First, uh, what would you say about this insanity? Oh, yeah, we have it. I fucking love it. 
Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, it's, here's uh, my issue with it, which is going to sound kind of heretical. Like, is that how you would say that word? Heretical? Yeah, I think so. Heretical? No. <laughs> Harry tickle? <laughs> no. Um, Harry does tickle. No. So what it was is like, I feel like when you have it in a bottle, it does keep the carbonation a lot more. And that's kind of a trend that I, not a trend, but just like a result of barrel aging things, especially when they're mm. coming off draft. And obviously when it's like on cask or a hand pump, then it's a different beast altogether. But you get a lot less carbonation. Yeah, you know, but I think that's, I think that's it's also it's cool. part, it's part of the style. Right? Yeah, it's part of the style too, because I think I'm it's meant to be a little closer to like a whiskey from. taste when it's aged in oak barrels, and that gives it more of that flatness, you know? Like the, the, Do you think the uh, whiskey gives it less? The, the, well, I think like the, I don't, I don't know if it's oil or whatever. We should, we should look into that. Yeah. We should probably that. be taking notes about stuff to like. Look into? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, well, we'll have the recording. That's a good point. Yeah. So I'll be able to like listen an audio to it back. <laughs> yeah, it's audio. Sorry, enough. guys. This is our experiment. <laughs> um, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, I just want to say, like, yeah, I, I think this is solid. I would probably oh, yeah. give it, a, like, a, I don't know, like, an A minus. I don't know what the f- Well, we got to come up with our own scale. Yeah, I don't um, want to do those anymore. It's like how um, Craig LeBan, who's one of the uh, food re- reviewers here in Philadelphia for the um, Inquirer, the big paper, um, he uses bells because, you know, Liberty Bell, Philadelphia, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of kind of cool. Kind of not cool, but... So what do you think this would be? The bells. But I think he only goes up to four. and But also it's weird. Oh, okay. So we also, need... Also, wait, hold on though. Sorry. It's weird because he also, like, you can easily get zero bells. Mm. So, like, even getting one bell is, like, decent. Should we grade things by hops or maybe by something Henry George would grade them by? Yeah, but there's not like a good like uh, like Monopoly piece type emblem for. Uh, <laughs> it's oh, too complicated. See, actually, that's such ironic when I say that. It's totally untrue because Monopoly. <laughs> did you know Monopoly was actually based on the the theories of Henry George? Well, it's based on Margate, isn't it? The, the town Margate. Yeah, in in uh, like New Jersey. Okay. I've been there a few times. They well, have, you know, it's based uh, on Atlantic City. This one. No. Margate, next to Atlantic City. Okay. That's where Broadway is. That's where Park Place okay, is. Okay, all yeah. those places. Right, right. But that's the modern... Okay. But... But... The original um, board game conception for Monopoly... Yeah. ...was, in fact, the opposite of Monopoly in terms of a concept. Wait, before Parker Brothers bought it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually... This guy basically... Yeah, look this up. I want to know yeah, about Yeah, this guy it. basically stole the, the, the idea. All right. Bring out the big guns here. Come on, internet. My, my Wi-Fi has been really fucking weird recently, and I'm worried. I think I paid the bill, but... Sorry about that. That was my bad. Uh, but now we're back on... Uh, might fuck up. What do you mean? My second to last homebrew. Uh-oh. Oh, this is a homebrew. Oh, Shit. Oh. oh, no, it's okay. It's spilling over a little bit. It's okay, guys. When beer spills over, all you got to do is get to a tile floor. Just relax. No, don't spill on the hot I'm just like, I don't want to waste any of it. You know what I'm saying? Of course. It's homebrew. It's valuable. And it's literally my second last one. It's valuable because you can't reproduce it. You'll never make that same beer again because no matter how controlled you have it, there is so much wild yeast that gets inside your beer that you cannot predict. Also, I really should get this one, this one uh, kind of loose and fast. Oh, so you don't think it's very good? Mmm. It's funny, dude. Um... Some of the bottles are fucking some of the best beers I've ever made. And others are down are horrible. This one's in kind of in the middle. It's really, really bitter. Basically, <laughs> oh, God. 
Okay, this is going for like uh, <coughs> Sorry, super pliny kind of thing, but like with Belgian meat. Whoa, that is a crazy amount of head. Wait, I gotta get a picture of this because Hunter just poured a beer that looks like a piece of bread. Hunter, can you come back with that? This is a homebrew. Um, what's the style, Hunter? How, what kind of hops did you use? What kind of yeast? Uh, do you remember any of the grains? Of Was it whole grains? Was it from a package? Of course I remember. What's the deal on this? Bread-ish Belgian beer. Well, so I was going for a, um, like a Pliny, uh, the elder take with Belgian yeast. And my main problem is that I just used so much hops that I basically couldn't, could never strain all of them out no matter what I tried. You know, cheesecloth. little. Yeah, that's exactly, we just took a photo of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, let me just get my cup of coffee real quick. Ugh, this is going to be a long day. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was the main problem. Coffee, when you dude. get all this sediment that's still in the, the bottle, as much as you try to get it out, you run into this issue of essentially setting yourself up for failure, you know? Because just mm -hmm. like look at it, like if you have that much sediment, there's probably some also some like fermentable still, even though you can't ferment, you cannot ferment um, hops exclusively, but you know, if some of the hop dust is getting in there, then presumably some of the yeasty yeast. I mean, pardon me, the uh, the, the yeast, the malt. <laughs> Dude, we apologize. It? Sometimes there will be made up words on this podcast. Where's, uh, where's my uh, coffee cup? Neither Hunter nor I claim to have the <sighs> largest vocabulary, though. Uh, oh well, I love fine. writing and coffee. I think I'm gonna just, give me a second. You keep talking. I'm gonna go on this thing. Okay, well, we'll get back to this beer. Mine looks particularly hoppy. Uh, I'm interested in how it's going to taste. I feel like it's going to be very piney. But uh, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe it'll be Belgian-y. Oh, my phone's ringing. Whoa. It's both, actually. It's Belgian-y and hoppy. It looks almost like a rice pudding or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> or possibly... Or possibly... Um, like a cappuccino, maybe? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. A Belgian cappuccino. Yeah. Um, coffee, coffee, coffee. Where are you? Oh, there it is. You know who's a really good beer company I've gotten into in recent years, but very expensive? Mm. McKellar's. I told you under the bar, right? It, yeah. Well, this is, a, yeah, you should talk about that because I didn't even know that was a thing. But I told you, though, right? Yeah, you told me about it, but I mean, like. Before that, you didn't know it was a thing. No, I, I didn't know it was a thing. I doubt other people know it's a thing. That's yeah, I didn't saying. know it was a thing either. I think Gabe took me. What up, Gabe? Okay, wait. You talk about that. I gotta, I gotta call Judd A back. All right, we're just gonna just be on the podcast then. You can do that. Okay. Anyhow, so I'm gonna walk away so that my mic is not yeah. picked up on yours. Yeah. Used to live in San Francisco before I moved out here to Philly, and um, we were back there for Thanksgiving. My girlfriend's folks over there are probably gonna be going back pretty soon, um, and we went. My my buddy took me to this bar downtown. In, in what, it's funny, what her parents kind of perceived as a sketchier part of town. But I really, I mean, you know, it's, it's it, it is what it is. You, it's not really that bad at all, but whatever. Um, McKellar SF. So they have one bar, I think, in Copenhagen, and they have a second bar in downtown San Francisco. And you walk into it, and it's unlike any fucking place I've ever been to in, really ever, actually, in terms of a bar. And they have all these crazy beers. I drank this... Uh, I guess it was like a triple IPA or a double IPA, something ridiculous, and it was, you know, 13%. Wow. They had some 14% barley wine. For a double IPA? 
Oh, it was a tripod. Or whatever, Imperial. I mean, who the yeah, fuck knows at that point? I mean, that's kind of just pushing everything in terms of what you're going to call it. But, um, and it was excellent food, just like super, super stark, but really kind of oddly warm aesthetics, man. It was awesome. It was really great. Anyhow. All right, wait, guys, this is an important bit, so. I'm putting the beers focus. down real quick. So anyhow, I, um, I mean, couch. you don't have to focus. As I lay on the couch. All right, so anyhow, there's this um, woman, okay? Yes. Her name is Elizabeth Maggie or Maggie, M-A-G-I-E. It's kind of, could go either way, really, with that one. Maggie? We're just going to call her Elizabeth for now, okay? I think it's Maggie, probably. Yeah. But so would... anywho, um, okay, let me back it up. I'm just going to read a little bit here. Where's this, this information is... coming from? Wikipedia? No, this is henrygeorge.com slash... Oh, Henry George has... Okay, wait, this is important. .org, pardon me. We will post this up, uh, henrygeorge.org Should I find a more uh, impartial... No, no, no. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, I want to hear what is this built by the same institute that exists a block from this house? No, I, no, I maybe. Unrelated. Here, here you go. We should ask them about that too. Do um, uh, another uh, note. Well, here, here. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, but here you go. Um, here you go. Um, I found a more like outwardly credible source to use, even though I do trust that source. Just for all you haters and investigators out there. I got a Harper's. So that's slightly, you know, that's better. Right? Better it's than more, Wikipedia. Uh, no, not better, just more like, you know, well-known. Unbiased. Yeah, this because is from, you would yeah. have to imagine that something, yeah, as, yeah. as unbiased as we think Henry George was as a philosopher, yeah, and probably yeah, yeah, his yeah. followers are, we cannot say that uh, their websites are not it's biased irrelevant. towards. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Okay, whatever. This is from October it's 19th. It's not relevant. No, it, like it is relevant. It is relevant. I'm saying, like, in truth, it doesn't matter, but whatever. Um, real quick. <laughs> October 19th, 2012. Okay. Monopoly is theft. The anti-monopolist history of the world's most popular board game. Daddy doody dee. Doody dee dee dee. The official history of Monopoly as told by Hasbro, which owns the brand, states that the board game was invented in 1933 by an unemployed steam radiator repairman and part-time dog walker from Philadelphia. Awesome. Named Charles Darrow. It's amazing how much Philadelphia factors into uh, American history. Yeah. I love living here for that reason. Sorry. Darrow had dreamed up what he described as a real estate trading game when, with whose property names were taken from Atlantic City, the resort town where he'd summered as a child. Patented in 1935 by Darrow and the corporate game maker Parker Brothers, Monopoly sold just over 2 million copies in its first two years of production, making Darrow rich, a rich man and likely saving the Parker Brothers from bankruptcy. It would go on to become the world's best-selling property board game. Proprietary board game? At least 1 billion people in 111 countries speaking 43 languages have played it, with an estimated 6 billion little green houses manufactured Wait, 1 billion today. people have played it? Is, that, is yes. that a total of the entire game, or is that like people who are alive today, 1 billion? No, no, I think it's over the entire history of oh, the game. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, blah, 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 blah. Um, they've been you know, branded for all different reasons. So, The game's true origins, however, go unmentioned in the official literature. Three decades before Darrow's patent in 1903, a Maryland actress named Lizzie McGee, good with? McGuire. M Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> How about Magi? Lizzie of the Magi? Yeah, you could pronounce it that way. Created a proto-monopoly as a tool for teaching the philosophy of Henry George, a 19th century writer who had popularized the notion that no single person could claim to, quote, own land. It's a lot more complicated than that, but... 
Uh, in his book, Progress and Poverty, George called private land ownership... Hey. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know what I fucking hate? It's internet pop-up. That you don't know where they such are? such a great, great... Oh, I got found it. All right, awesome. For a pop-up um, shop. Okay, Thank blah, blah, blah. George, called, George called private land ownership an erroneous and destructive principle and argued that land should be held in common with members of society acting collectively as the general landlord. Now, real quick, before everybody starts screaming communism, blah, 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 um, he actually didn't say that you should um, actually have collective ownership in that sense. What he said was that you should simply basically treat it as though it is any gains in, in increase in real estate values are not your own doing, thus they should be taxed accordingly. He was not against private land ownership. He was mainly against private accrual of land values that were not um, based on the landowner actually doing anything. We can get into that so again. So resources really more than anything. Resources are a huge part and actually can be very applicable in that sense, but yeah, absolutely. But, but anything the, whole, the land has before the... Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess real quick, the general thing is that you, if you benefit from your land value going up because, let's say, a school was built nearby or a, a, low, a, a nice highway was going in nearby or a park, things that are generally financed by tax dollars, right? Uh, your property value, your private property value goes up. Um, but you didn't do shit is the bottom line. So the argument goes that I believe, basically, and again, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but that you essentially should be taxed accordingly because that's part of the public good that increased your value. So you shouldn't just be able to sit on land and pay no property taxes because they're, they're only really paid when you, you know, build something and sit on it, sit on it, sit on it. People, you know, improve the area around you, sell and make a shit ton of money for no good reason of your own. You know, that's not entrepreneurship. That's lazy assholes fucking squatting as far as I'm concerned. Anyhow, uh, Harper's could do a little bit uh, more accurate descriptions, but regardless we'll get back to that at yeah. some point <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a break in just a second but i want to say that uh today we're also going to be discussing uh another economic uh treatise that has uh been sometimes misinterpreted or misstated at least in the public eye and i think that one of the most interesting things about it is uh that the reactions seem to be uh unfounded and uh, or at least at least um uh, incredibly uh, poorly researched. What's and, that? Well, that that's uh, in Benji Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. The oh, awesome! Yeah, doctrine. You think it's been poorly uh, discussed in research in the media? I think I think that uh, they've said, that, at least in the uh, criticisms of it, they're saying things that he did not even suggest at this point. Whoa. They're starting to invent things. Of course, and. Uh, to, like, to say he's against capitalism, for example, is, is the, something... Well, we'll talk about it later. Anyway, that's what today's episode's about. We'll probably come back to that, and I'll probably do that introduction like five more times, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, guys. All right. Talk all right, break bit. time. Peace. Good luck. Coming back from the break. Coming back from the break. I am on the recording, and Hannah's typing... But you see, it, it wasn't recording unless I pressed it twice. I'm sorry, guys. There's a technological difficulty, and we missed a lot of the introduction uh, there. I was miking myself, and... I, Can you hear me now? 
This is our first time using this equipment, and uh, I did not realize if uh, I only pressed record once that it wouldn't <laughs> continue recording. So um, can you hear me, bro? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. But um, so basically, we missed part of the introduction. Uh, uh, anyway, we were talking more about Henry George. Uh, Hunter went on a long diatribe about libertarians. We might get back to that later. Not vegetarians. No, libertarians. Libertarians. And uh, wasn't that long. No, but it was a really nice speech, and uh, I'm really sorry we didn't get any of it. And it uh, wasn't, people are going to think it was all mean. It wasn't mean. No, it wasn't mean at all. It was trying to say, like, we totally understand that it was about, like, the well-regulated militia part. Anyway, it was, it, it's hard to summarize. We'll get, we definitely will re-record it at some point. Um, but we missed that, and anyway, so, yeah, we started talking about Henry George in our senior year. Um, because uh, we got really into uh, politics. I don't know how much of the introduction we missed about us going to school together at Bard College and uh, freshman year and all that, but we'll, we'll see where we picked up. Anyway. Um, we'll, edit, we'll edit that. Hey, make yeah, me wink. We can right edit now. that edit. Wait, wink. Make <laughs> me wink. Um, if you haven't watched that sketch, you should go watch it right now. It was uh, Zach Galifianakis uh, doing a uh public broadcast sketch as a guy who uh, does a terrible broadcast where he's getting a John Ham feature and anyway you'll find it <laughs> John Ham <laughs> friend, my friend John Ham <laughs> I'm not John Ham I bet it'll be me But he actually gets John Ham for a little while right No he does he gets him the whole time No but then he's like But then he he says he says he's not around for the shoot and that's why he can't do it and then he's in the background of one of John Ham's shots Wait, what? Oh, he's the, in the, the reason that he says that he can't shoot it with John Hamm is because he won't be around. Okay. Anyway, here we go. The adventure begins. So next up, Henry George's house. Let's do it. It's so cold. Oh wait, yes. Man, it's so cold. This is like a bad day to pick to, to do this in hey, some ways. But you have to, you can't, you can't predict the weather. Yeah, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Here we go, dude. Henry George. Want to snap a photo? Yeah, of course. It's awesome. I'll read it. Henry George. The famous American economist was born here September 2nd, 1839. His book, Progress and Poverty, sold in the millions. Tax socially produced land values, he urged, instead of individually produced labor and capital. He died, 1897, in New York. I guess they couldn't, you know, afford to say in 1897. But we should go to the place he died, too, dude. That would be crazy. That's a great idea, yes. Yeah. Or not probably where he died, but where he's buried. Yeah. So who knows where he died? Because that would be... He probably died in a weird hotel room. Yeah, but I mean, like, I know, but we should go to, like, the location just to, uh, just to see if there's a plaque, you know? If it, wherever there's a plaque, we should go. You know go. what's too bad, dude? Before they had nice little, like, things here, you could grab little pamphlets. No longer. It's too bad. The Henry George School. Yeah. Well, court. hopefully, you know, we're going to come back and do an episode where we interview some people from the Henry George School. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's go get some beers. So, yeah. It's Perfect. cold as balls. Actually... Yeah, cold as balls, hot as oves. Hot as what? Ovaries. Ovaries. Why? Because I felt like, you know, you can't say cold and hot as balls. It just doesn't make any sense. You can't, like, it's say been here forever. that they're both, you know? They do adjust to temperatures, but, like... Yeah. 
That's true. I feel like I feel like balls are colder because they're on the outside. Ovaries are always hot. Yeah, dude. Whew. And I feel like oves is a much less offensive term. Versus what? Balls? Hot as ovaries? I don't know. I feel like that's... You feel like that's... <laughs> I just think like ovaries... Because we don't sp- say testicles. You know? Right. There's no like nickname. So I said oves. Yeah, oves. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, you want to see some cute dogs? I'd love to see some cute dogs. Although, are they for like expensive sale? No, they're not for sale. They're just in a do- doggy school. Doggy oh, daycare. Good. Okay, yeah. Because I was going to say, like, whenever I'm in New York and I see those dogs, they're like $500 for bred dogs. I'm like, ugh. And you're like, that's crazy. Yeah, you're that, an animal. Why, did you, why are you breeding this dog? There's, not a, there's too many dogs. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, guys. It's uh, Josh. And Hunter. And we're back. Uh, it's about like two and a half months after we recorded this. Uh, this being our first podcast. Uh, and just you know, we had about like five hours of footage at uh, least, yeah. <laughs> that we had that we sorted through and came up with uh, this format for it. So uh, we're missing some transitions and editing and you know, basic you know, things like minor that. stuff. <laughs> kind of doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, uh, we needed to uh, explain what happened uh, in between uh, the house and. Uh, where we're going i guess yeah the bars and places of interest yeah so uh in in this episode we continue on our journey to strange loves uh and honey you want to say something about strange loves yeah it's a pretty kick-ass bar number one number two they have a pretty good draft list and number three it's quite close to my place of residence so all things that are good um check them out they're in philadelphia i think they just got Rated as, you know, 100 best beer bars in America, which is obviously highly suggestive. Uh, yeah. Subjective, pardon me. It's not a very su- suggestive bar, except that you should drink good beer, generally. We had a good time there. Yeah, we had some really good food and good beer. Yeah. Um, we will also clarify what beers and food we had, as we didn't say that in the podcast, I believe. Yeah. Well, we probably get cut out. Yeah. Uh, we had some conversations with the uh, waiters that we had to cut from the podcast you know just to be a courteous yeah um so do you remember what kind of beers we had uh, all right so we looked up what we ordered i got a uh, shrimp po boy with coleslaw and these pretzel bites which had these amazing uh three mustard sauce dipping sauces with them uh, there was i can't remember what they were now but they were amazing and hunter like in fact ordered one as a side yeah mustard's awesome um and then for my beer i got a a Manny Young Strange Loves Duet, which was a Belgian pale ale. Um, and I, I wanted to get that because, you know, we're at Strange Love. It's a beer specific to them and specific to Philadelphia. And, and Manny Young is like a, a, yeah, it's like a nice some part of Philadelphia. Up, up northwest a little bit. Yeah, it's right up near the river. They have a bike race. Yeah, it's, it's hilly. It's the only part of <laughs> Philly that's hilly, which is kind of funny. So, and I got the burger, the classic burger. It was awesome. Truffle bacon status. Um, and for which was an addition, they don't have truffle bacon normally. No, that's definitely true. Um, and for my beer, I got the uh, it was the Port Anniversary Imperial uh, IPA, I believe. Nice little like goblet pour. It was it was epic. It was super v- viscousy, not as much as their old viscosity, which is their barley wine, and they do older viscosity, which is awesome. Port's just awesome. I want to go visit there one day. I think it's like San Marcos, California. It's called Pizza Port, so I assume there's a pizza restaurant <laughs> on premise as well. But I'm, I would hope so. Yeah. Otherwise, that's very deceiving. But like, it's I love when these you know essentially small craft breweries 
that are their their primary like brew pub is also known for, not known but like is also just a restaurant too is it it's a kind of their restaurant and brew brew pub but their beers just get so much fucking love coast to coast and they have good distribution i mean we went to the dogfish head uh brew pub same kind of thing they yeah, started brewing beer that started as a brewery not like a no that was the first part i mean yeah like it was a brewery and they had food yeah at the same yeah. time like they started together i just like I mean, they're a little different, obviously, but I really like that. that whole well, concept. I think there was something about experimenting with beer and experimenting with food, like those and, things go hand exactly, hand. and the and how they meet. Yeah, too. definitely. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So you'll yeah, hear sorry. us like eating and drinking throughout the uh, podcast, and like we might we talk about the beers a little bit. So those are what we're talking about because I don't think we ever mentioned what they're called. Uh, we probably had other ones too, but it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I think I later had a J.W. Lee's uh, Calvados or something. I don't know. We'll get to that. If oh, that Calvados! It was aged on Calvados barrels. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I got that. Do you know what I had? Any? No, I don't know uh, if you had. Right. A, yeah, we. Yeah, I don't know if you had a second one because you already drank quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Anyhow, that's what's good. Uh, Strange Loves is awesome. Check it out. It's on um, uh, 11th Street. I think it's on 11th Street. Yeah, Whatever, it'll be on the website. Check it yeah, out. Yeah, Levin Street in Philadelphia. All right, peace. All right, bye. You had that on lockdown. That's great. I was ready. Hey, what's the level? You read the Homerot? It's a yeah, wine one? I had it at, uh, had it at the uh, last festival, actually. Really? Yeah, they, had, they also had a new one that um, is like a raspberry. I can't remember, but it's really good. Can you look up what Dogfish had beer? Yeah. So, like, like I said, like on mm. November the 24th, 2013, the Pope gave this crazy speech. Crazy in that it was so sane. Well, crazy in that it was so strange for a pope to be talking about global economics. Yeah. And in a way that wasn't give the church money. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And it it certainly affected world politics and at least the media in the way that the media has talked about economics. Or perhaps it will affect world politics. Well, it's been well. It's affecting um, at least the way that we're talking about things right now. And I, you don't, you don't want the last song. No, go with you, man. You paid for it. And at least the way that we're like, you know, like people are talking about it from a religious angle now, which is something I never thought we'd be talking about. Is like how Jesus was a proponent of liberal philosophy, which seems so obvious, but we have so for so long used Christianity as a way to create a conservative. Which is just, I guess, so horrible, right? Because, as Macklemore says, right, like as Macklemore says, <laughs> it's like we gotta talk about the Grammy performance. I was gonna say, uh, was that we forget the words, like all people are created equal, yet we paraphrase a book written ten thousand years ago. Yeah, the line one is so mustardy. It's great. Okay, well, I wanted to say, like, first of all, that the Pope's always been, like, a debatable influence on um, American politics. Uh, in, uh, you know, in the 60s, people were asking Kennedy about it, and he said, I'm not legal, subject to the Pope. There was an old saying in Boston that we get our religion from Rome and our politics from home. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's kind of what people are saying now in terms of, like, how they're reacting to what the Pope has to say in terms of, like, the, the I would say, conservative Catholic media. I don't know any, like... Do you know a lot of liberal Catholics? I know, like, personally I know a few, but I don't know many in the media. At least I think that there are actually, um, there's more than you'd you'd expect. Well, it's interesting. The Pope before this was definitely a really conservative Pope. Like, he he was very much about, um, you know, anti-homosexuality, pro, uh, anti-condoms. What what is condoms? 
Contraception. Contraception. Catholicism? He was anti-Catholicism? No, no, no. I said he was anti... What did I say? Yay, Kay. I'm just joking with you. Um, yeah, but here's what I'm saying is that... Um, Pro-old regime, at least. And, and that's yeah. what I think, like... The first thing I want to say is, like, does the Pope have the right to say any of the stuff that I'm about to read? Well, listen, actually, that's something that, that strikes close to home with, for me. Because I... Uh, one of my one of my good friends and coworkers, you know, who who shares a similar, I would say, uh, progressive or liberal outlook, in, in a different sense than I do, and I'm readily to admit, I'm I'm happy I'm happy to admit my um, my biases because I think anyone that, that, that thinks that, that someone doesn't have bias is kidding themselves. The, oh, the best thing you can do is be transparent enough with your biases and recognize that you need to expose yourself to whatever the other side exactly. of that bias is. Hear hear and try to just like give give credence to or give like at least like an, a, an honest ear to the other side. Yeah, and not enclose yourself in a political matrix. Because that's I think challenging that sometimes. on either it side is. can be the worst thing that you could do. Because Absolutely. there are, I, I, we are not, I would say, Hunter and I would, would both say that we are not proponents necessarily of liberal philosophy, just of uh, a discussion of uh, rational and realistic principles and philosophies. Well, yeah, I mean, one of my Pope whole talks about that too, actually, interestingly. Really? He talks about realism, like facts, as opposed to ideas, and the facts should so outweigh yeah. ideas. Yeah, and that's my whole thing. Like, if you think about, like, let's say, MSNBC versus Fox News, and, like, they both are problematic for the same reason. And that being said, of course, I, I um, would, would, would consider MSNBC a real news organization far more than Fox News. But at the same time, like, they're not doing themselves any, um, any, any, any services by any service by... Um, Kind of openly pandering to the uh, the liberal side. I'm not to say liberal agenda, but liberal. But side. I don't even think they're doing that. That's. The, I don't think the, they are, the, but they're. they're, they're I don't okay think with anybody that. should be. Well, no, they are. So they're okay with that no, label. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that they are, but I'm saying. No, but like, like, dude. But I'm saying that they're. But that's not even uh, fair because um, I would say that like Colbert and Daily Show do a better job of what what I would expect from a liberal media if they were actually liberal than what MSNBC can come up with on a regular basis because most of the time it just seems to be a reaction to whatever Fox is doing <laughs> more than it is investigative That's kind of, That's kind of um, Daily Show too. You're, you're right, but there is a sense of investigative journalism every once in a while, especially in terms of the guests they have on and the interviews they do. I mean, dude, for me, like if you want unbiased, truthful, factual-based news, too. you go to BBC or Al Jazeera America. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I B said it. BBC especially. And like, I'm not as into Al Jazeera only because of the, the uh, funding. Where no, I from. agree. And you I can't say that they're gonna like really support the poor Pope either. So yeah, truth. And I don't really like watch them, but I'm saying like in terms of some issues, Hillary Clinton had it right. That shit is like relevant. That's certainly relevant. And so anyhow, um, MSNBC is. What's like, your opinion on Huffington Post? Because I have a sighting from them. Ariana. I think it's like. Honestly, my opinion about Huffington Post is that I, I enjoy it. Perhaps it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but at the same time, I think that, like, if you understand the the tone, if you understand the tonal bias, that's then it's very the valuable. York, that's how I feel about the New York Times, actually. What, Despite, like being upper, upper middle class rich white people? Yeah, that if you understand the perspective that there is something useful to be gained from... Then what's the, what's the corresponding perspective when it comes to... Um, HuffPo. What's the demographic? Same? San Basically. San Francisco? <laughs> no, come on. It was founded. I know. I was just kidding. Um, the Upper West Coast? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
No, I'm being serious. Like, I don't know. Uh, alternative culture in America. What do you want to say? Like, I feel like uh, this is a weird thing, too. Do you notice that alternative culture seems to uh, pro um, coalesce around agricultural hotspots in this country? Wait, what do you mean by that? Arizona being the most conservative. Co There's no fucking agriculture in America in Arizona. That's what I'm saying. Being the most one of the most conservative states in America, and places like Northern California, Portland, Washington, Hudson Valley, all these main agricultural. I mean, not some parts of Maine, but you don't think that uh, you're confusing two different things. You're confusing agricultural and local sustainable farm. Shape. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. yeah, oh, well, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm not it's talking Nebraska about... Nebraska is fucking I'm not talking about agricultural, industrial agriculture. Mm. I'm talking about more localized agriculture, yeah. Certainly. Here, here's the thing, like, here's what I want to, like, get in on. I want to really, like... I want to change the perception that you have to, like, have money to be able to, sp to support local sustainable farms. Because, in reality, it like... It takes a little more effort, though, certainly. Yes, but I mean, Whole Foods is just jacking up prices and pretending that you know, or hoping market. you don't notice. Yeah, but they're not even selling organic some of the times. Like they can label right, right, stuff but that's, all the time. Exactly, but they're still selling shit. So like, there's still sense. So some of it's good, some of it's not. But like, my whole thing is like, if you can get to know your farmer and develop a good relationship, then they're gonna give you preferential rates, and maybe you can trade what you have. Like, increasingly, I know people that raise livestock. Okay, wait, I do want to talk about this thing. I know okay. it's embarrassing. All right, Joy of the Gospel. So, like, there were two sections, really, that everyone's talking about. A lot of this stuff was just for Christians. I don't know if you know that. Like, I would say 80% of this document involves how to evangelize properly in the <laughs> world. It reminds me more of, like, um, like, a lot of Buddhist documents I've read, actually, that are about, you know, or Jewish documents that are about how to adapt religion to a modern setting, about right. how to be right. uh, communally Christian in uh, a city or in uh, okay. an apartment building. Yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were two sections of the that everyone's talking about. The first one is uh, number two, amid the crisis of communal commitment. And he, he says, like, there are four challenges today's world. No to an economy, an economy of exclusion. No to the new idolatry of money. No to a financial system which rules rather than serves. And no to the inequality responds violence. Um, yes. No, I agree with all of those things. Um, but what people are really talking about uh, is um, things that he said like this. Today we shall not have an economy of exclusion. How can it be that it is not a news item when an elderly homeless yeah. person dies of exposure, but it is a news when the stock market loses two points? Yeah. Now, do you think that's a misunderstanding of the economic um, Well, uh, also, did you, see the, did you see the response? I mean, the... Um, oh, yeah, we're going to get to that, that later. Article? Yeah. Do we're going to get to what? that later. Do you think, do you think that's a, an appropriate economic conclusion? Like, do you, do you think... That a homeless person, that a, that a person's death is of the same gravitas or more gravitas than uh, two mar two points in a, in a stock. Or do you think the Pope doesn't understand the stock market? Um, I would say that that it's so self-evident that the question shouldn't even have to be asked. Okay. Um, and personally, I need a folk for this, don't I? Personally, I just feel like. There we go. That also, the stock market is so irrelevant that it's a, it's actually just a farce. That that's the comparison. Oh, no, I mean, shit. 
What was that? Make it correct. fork. I dropped it. I'm sorry. No, dude. I'm sorry. You gotta I'm go gonna grab. I'm gonna grab your fork. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. So he said, uh, human beings are them consider are themselves considered consumer goods to be used and then discarded. Mm -hmm. We have we live in a throwaway culture, and I think he was talking about like, you know, how we throw away um, consumer goods, but also how we um, throw away people mm -hmm. when they become useless in terms of the job market, which can include real artists, as we learned in like Van. By we're we're Van but a means Gosling. of production, yeah. Like Van Gogh's life is an exemplification of how industrial culture ignores some of its most prominent members. I think it's not really like something I've thought about before. Mm -hmm. Indeed, go me. But anyway, I thought that was kind of Georgian that he said that uh, people, you know, are viewed as commodities. Mm -hmm. In terms of the way that governments and corporations view people. I mean, if a corporation is a person, too. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to talk about, which is the big thing that people are talking about, the trickle-down economics has never been proven by or confirmed by facts, and um, yes. that, that some other system will uh, inevitably succeed in bringing about greater justice and inclusiveness in the world, rather than trickle-down, because trickle-down yes. is just useless. Um. And now a brief interlude. <laughs> so uh, GSBox just spilled his coffee on our notes. Um. Which is fine, because I wasn't looking at him anyhow. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Speaking so, of liquid. Yeah, we took a lot of bathroom breaks in this episode. Um, we really enjoyed the footage of the bathroom breaks, because as we found with the laugh mics, you could hear whatever the person was doing in the bathroom while you were sitting at the table. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we didn't want to play the bathroom breaks in their entirety, because they're a little weird and... You know, they're funny, just, but... Just long. Yeah. <laughs> they're really long, and there's really a lot of them. So anyway, here's a highlight reel of our favorite moments of bathroom breaks. Uh, yeah, enjoy. These are bathroom breaks. These are bathroom breaks. They're for you. These we are like to breaks. pee. We These like to breaks. pee. But we never poo. I can't. I can't hear that. And now that I press record, I can hear everything. It's very creepy. Yeah. I don't know how we'll use this footage. Hey, Juice Box. Well, I can be like one of those politicians that forgets that they're so liked. It's very weird that you're talking you. to me. We're having a one-sided conversation. It smells kind of like poop in here. It's gross. This photo is very nice, though. It's like all these old Penguin Classics titles. Like Bookshelf. This, this is a terrible, terrible thing to record. Farewell. Somebody else with some uh, beers. There's a Goose Island Gillian here with a barrel aged Cezanne. Forty dollars though. I want to look up what the actual. They dull still not, which also sounds really great. I think I might go with that one next. Um, I was trying to listen beers, so I didn't have to listen. Did you hear me? Yeah, oh, yeah. Talking to penguins and all the. No, it wasn't penguins. It was penguins. The smell of poop and. Yeah. Um, and we're not gonna delete any of it. I'm gonna delete all of it. Oh, I was I was listing the beers while you were doing that. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, you didn't mention the uh, goat with the Santa hat. Employees must wash hands before returning to work. 
Oh, Penguin Books. Man, I really wasn't listening to what you were saying. <laughs> Penguin totally Books. Yeah. Farewell to Arms. That. Did you see the uh, the bit Colbert did the other day on uh, Ernest Hemingway where he interviewed <clears throat> Hemingway's granddaughter and he also interviewed, um, who did he interview? Oh, uh, Michael Chabon, the guy who wrote um, Cavalier and Clay. Chabon? Um, ハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハラハ
it happened to not work out very well, but because what happened was they they just they they end up cutting wages until what the federal government did is they started paying people a higher wage and that kind of standardized the minimum wage. Yeah. Uh, which is what sort of Obama suggested later. But we'll get back to that. Awesome. All right. All right. So um, the, what is the beer I have now? BBB Burgundier by, can you try, you want to take a guess at the pronunciation of the name? Yeah. Uh, T. Smyji. Smija. Borgen J. from uh, Odenard, uh, Belgium. I'm not sure that's how that's pronounced, but that's how it looks to me. This smells awesome, dude. And it tastes amazing. It's apparently made with a valerian root, a catnip. Valerian? It's crazy. It's crazy. It tastes a little rooty, which I think was the nuttiness that I said, but it's not really nutty. It's, it's very dry, yeah. which is nice because it is fruity, but it cuts off very quickly. So rather than being this lingering sweetness, you get like the alcohol fruity without being like overwhelmingly, you know, bitter or Over the top, uh, yeah. syrupy. I like it. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of a sour, actually. They have a little taste, yeah. I don't know how you feel. I feel like it's very, very much like a sour. Certainly higher alcohol content. Mm. It's like a malt bomb with a little bit of sour yeast. It's kind of like a Belgian barley wine a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You gotta pee again. That's fine. Yeah. I, I kind of have to too. Do you want to go, go first? first? All right, thank you. Come here. Are you gonna order that coffee still? No, I feel like coffee's gonna be expensive as shit here. We'll get it on the way. Okay. You want to, we can do a little coffee diatribe. That's fine. I know a really good coffee shop. Is it the one over there? The one we walk by, yeah. Because we've been there before. Yeah, we have. So this is. Yeah, so as I said, debt accumulation of interest. Uh, he also said widespread corruption and self-serving tax evasion, which seems so obvious. Like, why wouldn't those be things that we would... Uh, Close the loopholes. We would deal right? with as a Which government. none of the media outlets have really talked about, that he cited those things, because I don't think that... Uh, He's not into the capitalism, because you can't be. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You can't be against, uh, you know, fighting corruption and tax evasion, but we don't really talk about the money that's in politics. There still is no discussion of, uh, yeah, you really are drinking a lot. Hunter <laughs> <laughs> just down a third glass of water, or fourth maybe. I gotta look back at this, it might be fifth. Who knows? But you downed it like it was a shot. Um, the self-serving tax evasion especially, especially is one of the biggest problems of, uh, I feel like, the modern world because you can uh, take your money and put it into a different government's banks and completely avoid paying to like Costa Rica, you know what I mean? It seems, it seems uh, unfair to the average Joe who would never be able to do such a thing. Weird. I need to owe you, okay? How much do you owe me? Because you already owe me 20 or 25, whatever. Right. So how much else are we talking? Uh, whatever the difference is. The podcast later, like, oh shit, he owed ah. me money. Okay, yo, uh, so wait, wait. Okay, yo, that's a great thing to say in an economic or political discussion. Okay, yo, I would love, out. I would love if somebody said that in a political debate coming up, like Paul Ryan pulls that out with his P90X speech. Okay, yo, I will. I'm Paul Ryan. All right. Um, not to share one's wealth with the poor is to steal from them and to take away their livelihood. It is not our own goods we, which we hold, but theirs. 
See, for me, this all comes back to this, this is what I've always said is that, like, to be in America and to be wealthy, you have, I know, and this is, I guess, the root of the eternal debate. Like, is it a zero sum game or is it not? It's somewhere in the middle, right? I like um, his, well, he says also, I just want to say, at, at the end of this, he says money must serve, not rule, exactly. as well. Which is like, like, I don't, that is my biggest problem with the economic system right now is that I feel like, like I said, because public works projects are not even a consideration. Right. We have to say that money is not doing us a service as a society. It's ruling. Especially in terms yeah. of the way that we view environmental uh, uh, ramifications. Because we, we could be building, you know, things that consume CO2. Like, we could be building trees on top of every building. Right. But there's no <laughs> economic benefit to that, so nobody's willing to invest or in Or no short-term economic benefit. Right. Yeah. If it, it, but I'm saying, like, the way that we view the economic system is obviously skewed since these things haven't manifested themselves in the marketplace, in the free market. Exactly. I mean, sense. yeah, exactly. What, what I was going to say that before, but what the fuck was I going to say before? I forgot. Man. I don't know. Was I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, if you are wealthy in America, like, this thing goes back to the Trump debate, whether it's a zero-sum game or if it is, like, rising tide lift all boats, and obviously it's a, it's a combo of the two. But... My whole thing is this, like, if you are born, or whatever, if, if you make your money in America, you've done so because of the security that the police and the FBI provide, and the fire department, and the public education system, and the post office, and highways, right? And the, the lines drawn on the highways so they don't crash into the other people. Yes, it, I mean, it goes on and on and on. So the whole concept is that, like, for me, is like... I love those people who are like, yeah. I'm on welfare, but we shouldn't have government assistance. Right, well, this is what I'm saying, is like... I earn my taxes welfare. Taxes are that, um... That's, that's, that's pain into the social contract, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So... Well, here, here's a question, not to... Oh, sorry. No, so you, just that's, what, that's what the Pope is saying, like... If you're not, like, at least contributing some of your, some of your finances to the, the less fortunate... Like, that can just be, even be considered taxes, right? The taxes, progressive tax system that taxes the wealthy more than the poor, that then finances social welfare systems. That's kind of what we're talking about, really, what, what the Pope's talking about. Yeah. Like, people that fight against that is like, fuck you. You didn't get rich just because you're awesome and nothing else. Like You had to drive on the roads to get to yeah, school. There's and not enough wealth in this country for everyone to be wealthy, period. There's not. So, you know, some people are winners and losers, man. And But there is also, yeah, there is also, no but, that's, but that is a problem with our conception of wealth. And I feel like the Pope, interestingly, goes on to talk about, oh, we'll get to this later, but he talks a lot about uh, globalization as in, like an idea that we have to face as a reality of the world. That, that mm -hmm. something that happens in Indonesia affects the market in, you know, Germany. Right. And... And that, that and that is the reality of the modern world, and we can't deny it anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very I think point. I think it's it's useless to even it's 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 hard in some ways. He he you know he calls out the politicians to change this to like embrace uh, powerful philosophies that that help people. And I wonder you know how much can any politician do in the face of global economics, global corporations that control more of the mass market than any government has the ability to police. Right. And doesn't it just come down to campaign Maybe China. Maybe China. Yeah. Thanks very much. Maybe China because they're a dictatorship in some way. <laughs> a dictatorship. A totalitarianistic regime have more control over the corporate entities in their state. 
But not even then. Really. Stamps.com. Stamps.com. Yep. Do you want to get your stamps? No, oh. strangeloves.com. What was their site, actually? Do you remember? No, I don't. All right. We're going to the coffee shop? Yep. Ugh. We're going to be late to Hawthorne, so that okay? It's fine. We're not, probably, actually. Well, I mean, cause just because I want to talk about this, finish this conversation part of it, if that's okay with you. Of course, bro. All right, let me pack up everything so it's not, like, you know, terribly visible. Yeah. And it doesn't look quite so inconspicuous. Is it conspicuous or inconspicuous? I never can remember. That's one of those words that I'm really Conspicuous is like it's about. obvious, and inconspicuous is that it's not obvious. Oh, so I want to be inconspicuous. You want to be, finish your beer. Yes. Well, I get confused. You know, what, you, know what, you know what I think started to confuse me? I used to know, I feel like, all of them until I realized flammable and inflammable were the same thing, and then I started thinking, inflammable. maybe I've gotten no, them all Inflammable is that it's not flammable. You are wrong. Look it up. Really? Yep. Okay, so um, where's the coffee shop? You know, what's interesting is that uh, after this, we're is that going to. Really they can mean either. Put some only its butt. Only its boobs. Um, no. No? No, not um, in, in Old English, yes. In Modern English, no. Just as uh, Fanny in America means butt, certainly, right? But Would you agree? Be, yes. But in England means vagina. Really? You've never did none of that? No. See, you learn something new every day. What's that? You learn something new every day. More than one thing, bro. All right, so uh, one thing that I thought, wait, are we going to the coffee shop? Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting about going to the coffee shop right now is that actually one of the things the, the Pope talks about is how we need to move out of an exclusionary society, which involves uh, you know talking to people in public about things. Now, he was talking more about Christ, obviously. Uh, that we need to talk to people about like our Christian convictions. That we shouldn't? No, he said we should. But but I I I was thinking more about like what Habermas said about like public discourse being missing from modern society. And um, he, you know, looking back at society kind of although looking at its own exclusion in, in that it was all upper class white men, uh, was looking more at like the coffee houses and the uh, tea houses of like the 17 and 1800s, which is interesting because we're going to a coffee house right now. What was he talking about? Sorry. Uh, how those were the public meeting places where people would discuss politics openly. You would just turn around, you know, if you heard somebody having like, a discussion. Yeah, dude, exactly. You'd be like, like, yeah, dude. Fuck you. That's yeah, exactly. Which kind of happened in uh, beer houses in, or breweries in America in uh, the 1700s and inspired the American Revolution, which I'm sure we'll get to at a later date since yeah. we're going to be doing a lot of episodes in Philly. <laughs> Yeah. Can't really ignore Independence Hall and uh, the Liberty Bell, and yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, I think we should drink some beers and talk about how they uh, how they drank beers, how they drank beers, and talked about revolution and plot our own revolution, maybe not a violent one necessarily, but uh, we're gonna Alrighty. go to here to Green Streets. We're gonna grab a coffee and turn off. So as you can see, we never quite made it to the coffee shop, or yeah. at least not in this episode. Yeah, we, we did get there eventually, don't worry. Yeah, we did get there eventually. It's just that we felt like the episode went on a little long. You know, as I said, we were recording five hours of footage. Yeah, at least. And uh, I really didn't want to cut down the segments more than they were. So um, in order to keep the integrity of what we were talking about, we decided to split it into two parts. Yeah, integrity is key for us, if you haven't uh, <laughs> realized already. So 
Um, that's going to just be a driving theme throughout our, our, our trips and our travails. Honesty and integrity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're really just trying to bring the truth ultimately to you. So whatever it takes, all right? If it's two and a half months, if it's two and a half years and a million episodes of one, you know what? We'll do that. If it's a lifetime of research. Yeah, exactly. You give us the scandal, we'll do the... We'll take a decade to figure out what happened. <laughs> give us the crime, we'll do the time. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. All right, see you next time. So I had this idea for the podcast where at the end of every episode, we try to tell like a story from our past uh, or something that like you know we thought was interesting that happened. Because I always think it's funny when drunken people tell stories. I think that's mm. a great part about drunk history. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, here's that segment. Story time. Story time, 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 a 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 story time, 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 a story time, a story time, story time, a story time, a story time, story time, uh, when I got back from uh, London, Hunter got back from New York. We decided City. to live together because uh, we wanted to live off campus, and um, I don't think we really knew anybody else who was coming back to school, right? I mean, why? It just made sense, yeah. It made sense, right? Yeah. I mean, not that we weren't friends. We were definitely like really close friends then, but like we we weren't as in touch as we were freshman year. You yeah, know of what course, I mean? yeah. And um, anyway, so we had this like weird little pad. It was owned by Blue Lake House, and I am not afraid to say, fuck Blue Lake House. With they capital the F. Yeah. If you live near Bard, or like, you know. Avoid them like rent, the plague. Yeah, just don't, don't rent with them. Uh, I have nothing but terrible things to say. But anyway, we are living in this place um, next to... Uh, can I say next to Mercados? Is that okay mm. to say? Was it Mercados or Mercados? Yeah, you already did, so it's relevant. Yeah, but I think that part got deleted. Anyway, um, so uh, we're living on the second story of a house. And it's weird because the entrance of the house is at the front. It's the, we have the porch and the front of the house, but it's just stairs. You enter, and then there's stairs, and then it goes to the upstairs, and we live on this weird upstairs where the floor is all uneven, um, and the roofs are very low, and uh, occasionally when we were, you know, sitting in the house or playing video games, playing a lot of Halo, um, um, Gears of War at the time, and, um, you know, laying in bed, we would hear, like, little shuffles in the, in the ceiling above us. And so we uh, called Blue Lake House. I actually think you called Blue Lake House. Is that correct? Yeah. You called Blue Lake House and told them um, there's something living in our attic. I think at the time we thought it was probably mice or maybe a single, like, raccoon or something, right? Yeah. 
Um, and they said, nonsense, nothing could be living in there. There's no way that something could get in there, blah, 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 blah. And then, um, do, you, do you remember that? No, but I trust you. Okay, and then like two weeks later, or maybe it was like a month later, I'm in the shower, and um, you just came running in. And you were like, not that you came running into the shower. You like, you know, threw open the door, did not look in, but was like, dude, it's happening. They're descending. And I was like, what? Who's descending? You're like, the squirrels. <laughs> like, as if we had known they were squirrels, which we did not. And I quickly get out of the shower, throw in a towel, walk out, and there were three squirrels jumping around the center of our apartment. And the center of the apartment was the stairs. So it's literally just the top of the stairs and they're jumping from railing to railing, like trying not to fall into the pit in the middle. Um, and we're like, what the fuck do we do, dude? Like, what do we do? Do we call pest control or anything? And we were just like, open a window, open a window. And we opened a window on the second floor of the house and I swear to God, these three squirrels went out in uniform, like boom, 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 flew out, not grabbing onto anything, falling two stories. They were fine, but Blue Lake House, oh man, did we bitch them out after that one. And the funny thing is we rented with them again next year and didn't think to take pictures of the, the place or like take any precautions against their crazy uh, managing practices. They sucked, yeah, it's true. Henry and Ops, Henry and Ops, Henry and Ops, Henry and Ops, Henry and Ops. <laughs> Hey, watch the wolf suit.